filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, the Black and Red United, and no cold open and Lee Wynn is a style icon podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. No, your headband is awful, Adam. <laughs> you guys didn't want me to talk about my I know. <laughs> We've already busted it. <laughs> we will always break Ben's edict against a cold open on this show. Uh, I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com. We talk about DC United. Tonight, we're talking about DC United's 2-2 two two draw with Toronto FC, and we are previewing the very quickly upcoming game in Nashville against Nashville SC. We'll have uh, our good friend Clay Trainum on the show in the Your second segment. Friend. My cousin. Yeah. Our good friend. My cousin. Uh, Clay Trainum. Little nepotism goes a long way. Uh, we'll have him on the show later uh, to preview that game, which kicks off at 8.30 p.m. on Wednesday night. That's September 23rd, if you really need the specifics. WJLA News 24-7. If you're in the immediate D.C. area, uh, ESPN Plus, if you're outside of it. You can also stream it on DCUnited.com if you're right here in the DMV. Before we get into things, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I just tried to keep it real standard. I actually had time this time, but I didn't feel motivated to do a complicated one. So I grabbed my uh, Knob Creek uh, Single Barrel Select which is, I can't even remember the proof on it. I know it's overproof. I think I've talked about it on here. Um, I put one ice cube. 400 for my, uh, proof. If it's 400 proof, then we got a problem uh, because I'm going to keep sipping on it. Um, I grabbed <laughs> one ice cube, from my big old ice cube molds, and uh, that was it. That's all I got. Nice. Yeah. Ben. I'm similarly simple. I'm drinking uh, Evan Williams uh, and ginger ale just regular canada dry diet ginger ale then evan williams just because it's that's, easy that's... i know you have opinions on ginger ale i'm surprised to hear you uh canada, canada dry is better than seagram's i think we've been okay. on, over this on the show too yes we've been we've <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely, we definitely have. been over this yeah. on the show that's why i expected like a, a like more... it's it's I mean, but it's just easy to get. It was on a deal. It was on like a buy two, get one free deal. Uh, it's not like, like Verner's is better, of course, but Verner's is necessarily that, on offer in Virginia. Yeah, I'm surprised. It's it's available where I live, which is mildly surprising because I was under the impression this was an upper Midwest product, but now it's just here. Yeah, but well, also I'm cheap, so I didn't. Break into... I, I, also, public yeah, Publix doesn't have Verners here in Virginia, and I mm-hmm. went to Publix because they have good olive bar selections, and I I went there to get my olive bar selections for the Emmys. So that, it's a whole different thing. I know intellectually that Publix exists outside of Florida, but in my yeah. heart of hearts, I believe that anywhere with a Publix is Florida. 
So I mean, that's not true at all. No, 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 that's not true at all. It's now in Virginia. I was just going to say that it it seems like you have Olive Bar in Virginia in, in my local grocery store. The Olive Bar has been since the start of COVID converted into like a place where they put extra lemons and limes and other. No, 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 no. So the the Olive Bar in the Publix is now they prepackage. Okay packages of olives and then you just grab the packages of olives okay so, so they're where the olives were it's just yeah it's a yeah, yeah, yeah. thing okay correct the, the, my the olive bar it's always like a weird grab bag of random stuff and so i wander past it just to see like hey what you guys got this time and usually it's right. lemons and limes and then who knows pretzel chips i think that's what was there last time a bunch of pretzel right. chips no, no. Thankfully, a... like I, I always love olives and che- and cheese for uh, uh, award shows. F- oh, for award shows, yes. I I like watching live pieces of television, whether they be award shows, whether they be sporting events. I I like watching things where other people are also watching them, and I like to get uh, olives and charcuterie for that, and. Publix is still doing that. They are just packaging up the olives for you, and it's pretty good. Ben being cheap and also getting charcuterie right there in one yeah. one answer. I love it. Yeah. Um, there's a Whole Foods that opened near me, and uh, we had a coupon, and I went, and the very first weekend they were open, they had an olive bar that could not be used for olives because they just opened in the middle of a pandemic. And so they got cute and put a bunch of uh, cases of Corona beer around it and made it basically their um guacamole ingredients bar <laughs> with lots of limes and avocados and some pre-made guacamole as well anyway i am drinking not bourbon tonight and not corona i'm drinking augustiner brow from uh munich I, I have no idea from whence my my wife got this but she bought it and we went to augustiner brow the one of the beer halls when we were in Munich uh, a year ago and so it was very nice of her to let me or to save one of these for me for tonight knowing that I wanted to drink it on the podcast so um, that's what I have why why don't we have her on this podcast instead of you Uh, because she gets tired and goes to bed at a reasonable hour yeah maybe she maybe (laughs) she should be on this podcast instead of me Yeah, yeah maybe yeah I'm sleepy Ben, are you looking for are you looking for some rotation due to fixture congestion? <laughs> That's a reasonable policy, honestly. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. Speaking of fixtures, uh, DC United scored very early and very late to get another two to two draw with Toronto FC because. That's what these teams do. Ola Kamara scored in the fifth minute, breaking the black and reds more than 11 month long streak of not scoring in the first uh. half. Then after a couple of goals from the visitors, 17-year-old Griffin Yao volleyed home a poor clearance from Omar Gonzalez, who had a helping hand in both of these goals, honestly, uh, for DC United. Griffin's first career MLS tally. Congrats to the kid there. Uh, Homegrown signing. Very exciting. We'll get to him in a minute. First, though, I want to talk about the tactics that we saw uh, from the outset of this game. Uh, It was not the diamond that I was certainly expecting when I saw the lineup and that we we saw against the Red Bulls. Um, instead it was really a flat four, four, two with, uh, attacking bucket tendencies, <laughs> um, where, where the, the outside midfielders got high and central in the attack, but they defended in a flat four, four, two. 
Uh, ben, you called it, honestly. Like we were all saying we expected this to play as a diamond with a sod in the 10 spot. And you said, I don't know. I think it could be an empty bucket. And yep. lo and behold. I mean, I like an empty bucket because I've liked it since 2008, 2009, 2010. It's nostalgic. Uh, USMNT. <laughs> but I mean, when you don't have a lot of other things going for you, it's a it's a solid way to play. Um, you, you can absorb a lot of pressure and then you can uh, break on the counter. You, ha- you uh, like DC United had in this game, having two forwards helps you pressure the opposing team a lot. And I think having two forwards in this game helped DC United a lot. I think it, it, it helped them, change things up in a way that they have not been able to do in the past couple of games. Uh, and so having, having those two forwards right now makes a lot of sense. And given the injuries that happened in this game, uh, maybe Edison Flores will be one of those uh, forwards in the next game, or maybe they'll have to change their uh, formation going forward. But, I, I I like the two forwards with with the way this team is currently comprised because uh, as as I've talked about uh, I don't think the uh, this team is well built and changing it to two forwards helps figure it out a little bit. I mean, I mean the for- one thing it really does is is let there be a forward who's always central at at any given time. So when Ola Kamara flares out to the right and is all the way on the touchline, you still have Helman Rivas in the middle, which was a big problem for this team playing four two three one. There they when they would get bodies into the attack, there would still be nobody in the box. Yeah. And this kind of mitigates that a little bit. Well, and I think, you know, last week we talked about um how DC United needs to pick something and stick to it. Um, and this got away from that a little bit. It's still a four, four, two, but you know, by changing the midfield to defend flat and, and, you know, after the game, Ben Olsen said he really wanted it to be more of a box. If you look at the game, the way it played out, I don't know that they necessarily succeeded at that goal. Um, Gressel and Assad were more often sort of wide or, or maybe in the half spaces, but not, truly in that box like you see in if you want to see the box in american soccer you really have to watch the north carolina courage um in the nwsl that's where you'll see it uh done to a t um dc didn't get there uh they they weren't able to get those guys into those spots that often um but from a from a a figuring out what your opponent is good at and trying to neutralize it perspective i think if you're going to shift out of the diamond and go to this slightly different way of playing. Um, it wasn't a bad idea. I think they, it was a, a decent idea and it was fairly well executed. Um, I think United prevented TFC from the overloads on the right flank, which is something that Olsen said uh, after the game was a major point of emphasis. And you can see when you look at Toronto's passing map, they did try to get the ball on that side, but they didn't actually have a lot of it. They ended up having more of the ball to the left because DC was able to, um, by having a a true, a traditional wide midfielder um, out there, not a winger, but a wide midfielder, um, 
you end up with that extra layer of support that um, you, you don't have your left, you know, if it's a diamond, for example, it would have been Muhammad Abu having to cover an extra 10 uh. yards to get and get over there and help um, the fullback. You don't have that situation. You have someone that's already there. Um, the risk with, with what Olsen was trying to do was you're only playing two central midfielders. And in the modern game, generally, that's there's a reason teams don't play 4-4-2 anymore. Um, or if they do, it's a diamond because they don't wear a box. They don't want it to be two people in that entire area of the field um a central overload is generally way more dangerous than a yes an overload on the sideline that the right and also it's it's hard to control the game going the other way as well it really makes things difficult the way that the game has developed the thing is tfc i you know i listed their formation as a 4-2-3-1 but alejandro pozuela was not doing anything defensively to help um the central midfielders. And so in effect, there were long phases of the game where it was two V two in central midfield, um, which felt a lot like MLS. It's a throwback. It was a throwback game to 2008 in a lot a of ways. Bit, yeah. Um, um, and so you, cause you had you the, go ahead. You, you don't see it very much for a reason, but if your opponent is committed to playing a certain way and TFC has been playing like this for a while, um, where Pozuelo, is kind of an attacking midfielder, kind of a forward. In some games, he's just straight up another forward. Um, you can kind of get away with it. Um, and if you can get away with the central midfield risk without losing that area of the field, while also helping cover your flanks from those wide overloads, uh, you know, it's hard to it's hard to argue with as a, as a one-off. This is not, they should not take this to Nashville and try and do it again. Um, Nashville plays a very rigid 4-2-3-1. We'll talk about that later. Um, don't do this against them, but um, for this game against TFC, it made sense and it it worked because let's be honest, TFC had the better team on the field, um, and yet this game over ninety minutes was fairly even. There was a stretch where TFC was dominant. Um, DC doesn't have a maybe maybe the first twelve minutes they can say they were almost dominant, but um, all in all, if you look at the, the quality of the two teams, where they are in the standings, the players they had in the game. Um, if you are able to play that game fairly evenly, uh, then you have done well tactically. Um, and that's what happened here. Um, the, the added fact of DC playing early in behind, um, those direct balls from deeper positions gave TFC some fits, um, whether that was Kamara or, or Rivas getting physical, um, because I think you know, the Toronto defenders don't have a lot of tape on what Rivas is like. So they didn't really, they seem surprised by him. Um, they seem surprised that he was willing to mix it up so much. Obviously, you know, Nashville now knows that that's coming. Um, future opponents are going to be like, this guy plays physical soccer as a forward. But, uh, you know, when you've got that advantage to play while you've got it, you might as well get something out of it. So um, I, I thought it was a, an interesting game tactically, probably not a look that we're going to see very much of, though with the number of central midfielders available, maybe there's also no other choice. <laughs> Can we ask other teams to just play two in the middle and, and call it that? <laughs> right. Just a gentleman's agreement. Just, 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 uh, just stop it. Just don't, just don't do it. Um, one thing, so we, we've talked and talked and talked on this show about wanting to see DC United building towards something and Ben Olsen building towards something tactically. And as Jason said, he stuck with the 4-4-2, but he got away from the diamond. I think we did still see some continuity, which was good in the the style of play within the 
the confines of of that formation. We didn't see them go back to the bunker encounter that we saw, or or bunker and don't bother countering that we saw uh, right. during the, the doldrums earlier this month. Yeah, they, they actually they were willing to play the ball short a lot in this. They were mm-hmm. willing to play through pressure in the midfield. Um, and then they would get the ball wide and try to advance and then pass it around in the the final third or try to. We saw some of the same principles that we saw in the diamond. And that is something. Um, it, it wasn't an abandonment of what we saw, um, when, which is good. If you, I want to see more of that. If you look at, you can go look at the stats for this game. Both teams finished with an 83% passing accuracy, which means that DC dragged TFC down a little bit and also maybe was a little bit better than you would expect. Um, Given the game state, the way the game played out with DC scoring the early goal, it's not too shocking that the possession went to TFC, but it's only 53 to 47. Um, Given the stylistic preferences of both teams and the quality of both teams, that's not really a surprise either. Um, So this was definitely not a super defensive performance the the periods of time where tfc had all of the ball it wasn't that dc said let's sit deep and hang on for dear life it was tfc made an adjustment at halftime that i thought was really smart by basically by pushing more numbers forward and being a little more um to the point um and they they sort of pushed dc back rather than dc deciding to sag back um because in the first half tfc was slow um that they played slowly and DC dealt with it pretty well outside of uh, some defensive errors. But, um, and this is also something TFC can do to almost any team in MLS when they want to, when they're really dialed in how they are, you know, this is how they, they attack teams. This is not a, uh, well, we're bad. So they, they were able to do this. This is just what they do. Um, They'll go to the playoffs invariably when TFC and Seattle play each other for MLS cup for the 18th (laughs) time. Um, this is how they're going to approach that game. And Seattle's going to end up having to look like DC for spells, even though Seattle is probably the best team in the league this year. Um, that is the way of the world against TFC is you spend some time without the ball. Um, and if you can make them play slow, you know, if they've got a lot of the ball, but they're not fast with it, you're doing something right. Um, as long as you're not always back and DC managed to get out of that trap. So this is something, this wasn't, it's a home draw, and we're now talking about a team that's won one win in six home games. Um, but against TFC, I think, you know, with a real look at where DC is as a team right now, a home draw against TFC is a progress. It's not great, but it's a step in the right direction. Uh, an individual step in the right direction was Ola Kamara, uh, who, who got off the schneid finally. Uh, scoring a goal from open play, a goal he created himself and finished. Um, he yeah. he stepped up to pressure Omar Gonzalez, um, took the ball right off of him and, and beat everyone. Yeah, just <laughs> pilfered it, uh, sprinted straight down the middle of the field and and uh, beat the keeper. Uh, got a hand to it, pushed it off the post, but it still went in. It counts. Uh, and you just saw the relief on his face as he hugged Helman Rivas after <laughs> after scoring the goal. Um, he was active in this game. Um, mm-hmm. he, he was named man of the match officially. I think a lot of people disagreed with that given Griffin Yao's contribution, but, um, definitely one of his better performances, which is good. I want to see more from Ola. I think we have to see more from Ola. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we've seen him have that kind of scoring chance this season several times and not 
execute. He would either take he didn't one take the extra touch, touch yeah, or, or he would just have one touch run a little long, and all of a sudden his his angles to get around the goalkeeper disappear on him. Um, and this one, it almost didn't work. Like you said, Westberg did get a touch to it. It did almost get tipped off the post or wide, um, but he got it to go in. And I think unlike the penalty kick, because the penalty kick is a, it's a, is if you can keep your composure enough to do a mechanical repetition of doing something, it's not going to get saved. Um, whereas this is a, is a much more up in the air situation, even a break in alone against a goalkeeper. Um and so for him to see, you know, we hoped that he would get going because he scored the penalty kick and it didn't really happen. Him scoring an open play goal that was all him. Uh, this was not group pressure that caused Gonzalez to uh, screw up. This was Kamara happened to see kind of like people Higuain um, against the Revs back in Orlando, um, though that was a back pass rather than a, just a player keeping the ball too long. But um, the fact that it ends in a goal for Kamara, I think it, it changed his mood. Um, it changed his confidence level. Um, I think he's enjoying playing off of Rivas um, mm-hmm. a little bit. I, I think there's something there that might be brewing um, chemistry-wise. So, yeah, uh, I I feel like if this is this is what we're going to get from him on a regular basis, then uh, we might have something. I mean, I'm not saying that we're talking about the the whole season turning around and this becoming an MLS Cup contender. But, uh, you know, we're talking about the league, the top striker on the team only has his second goal of the year, but he's finally got something he can build on now. Um, so, yeah, uh, overall, not just positive because of the goal, also positive for, you know, the rest of his play was really good. I uh, mentioned Griffin Yao. He came in as a sub at halftime for the injured Mohamed Abu, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, and he also was very good outside of his goal. Before the goal, he uh, he he embarrassed a couple of defenders along the end line, um, just running at them and doing good ball things with the to to set up a chance, uh, and then almost assisted on the game winner. Pipa Iguain uh, hit a long diagonal to him at the the far post, and he managed to control it back into the path of Eric Sorga, who also did very well to put a shot on frame. Westberg just got a hand to it and pushed it over. Um, but really good sequences. And especially given that Griffin Yao scored the goal uh, technically as a wingback who was pushed up very high to, to look for that equalizer. Um, just great play from him. He came into the game at the beginning of the second half and had puppy dog levels of energy where he was like, it looked like he had the zoomies. Honestly, he was covering space at a just at a hundred percent effort, just sprint after sprint after sprint, even over just 10 yards. Um, he was not just filling space. He was pressuring guys and going hog wild. And it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, he needs to see more time on this team. Like what he brings to this team is a lot and it, it, what he brings is uh important and we need to see more uh time from him i would like to see more time uh from him than uh 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 ulysses segura I, I, we need to see more time from griffin yeah because he scores goals as we just saw in this game he creates uh exciting opportunities he, He's a really good player. He's a young player. He's the future of this team, and he deserves to 
get he deserves to get this these opportunities. So he he needs a lot of a, a lot of forward forward motions. He deserves a lot of forward opportunities. And Ben, I'm glad you mentioned Segura because after I mean we have to be honest. Like Segura posted a photo of himself doing a he had like a recovery contraption uh there on his lower a, leg i i actually thought it was an air cast until i saw later that the injury was to a cat so it's some other kind of device i think yeah um, it's you see them using it um you see players using it in recovery i think it's a, right, but this is a, a water this circulator this it looked like one a, of those either oh no this is a different one yeah huh. um but who knows uh we don't this is not a medical uh gadget podcast um we're not doctors could be. um no, but he not. he had something going on, and I think we have to be honest that if he were fit to dress for this game, it probably would have been him coming in for um, yeah. uh, Abu at halftime. So um, that's not the best thing in the world. But I, I'm I'm very hopeful that Yao's performance has gotten him into the frame more because, especially at home, we we kind of talked about this before with Paredes earlier in the season, where um, if the young guys aren't going to be starting. They at least need to be when you're at home or when you're trailing. They need to be higher up the list of choices because they are going. They're more likely to create goal scoring chances. You know, Segura yeah. takes a lot of flack for what he's not good at. Um, I think it causes people to underrate the things he does bring to the table. But you know, we've got enough of a track record on him to say that the guy's not going to score a ton of goals for you. Right. Um, there are other things he does that are valuable, but that's not part of the mix. Um, Yao has shown at the Loudon level and when he's played in friendlies for DC and now this game that there's a directness and an insistence to his style of play, uh, that is going to cause things to happen. Um, I think Ben Olson last year even said that, um, when Yao scored against, um, Real Betis, you know, it was one of these goals where he takes a shot from the top of the box, it clips off someone and goes in that way. Um, and he score apparently, according to Olsen, he scores a lot of goals like that in training and at, at the youth national team level. It's just something that happens a lot because he's always looking to push the tempo. And you're scoring deflected goals because you were just that split second faster to decide to shoot and get the shot away. Um, and this that relates to this goal because this was one where he decided to get the shot away immediately. There was no, let me wait for this to bounce and then hit it. Let me try and take a touch and then hit it. This was... I'm going to come at the ball in an awkward angle um, with right. my weak foot to shoot because and just I slammed it. I know and he, I he put it across his body to the near post too. Like right. he was in total control. It was impressive. Right. Technically. But he, but it was because the urgency was there. The, the, <clears> the, the knowledge and the embrace of the fact that this had to happen now. This was not a, I have, uh, I have time to take that touch or I have time to shape my body differently. The window, and when you look at the replay from behind the goal, the window was narrow. Westberg almost got to the shot. Um, and if he takes any more time to get the shot away, that shot doesn't go in. It gets saved, and we're, we're talking about a loss. Um, and so that's the kind of thing that DC has lacked in some of these games late on when they're, they've been losing a lot this year. And there have been a lot of games go by where we feel like they don't even really put a convincing push for the equalizer. And it's because of that lack of insistence um that that almost it's almost too hurried um but sometimes you need someone playing with that mentality to sort of you know it kind of bleeds into the rest of the group a little bit um so yeah i was i was happy to see him get in um 
I was a little surprised, quite frankly, at halftime because, um, you know, with Abu coming out, when you look at who was available on the bench, the only central midfielder was Moses Nyman. Um, you could argue Kevin Paredes could play there. Um, you could argue that what they did, which was to play Julian Gressel there, those are things you can do, but that's not where those players belong. Um, and it didn't really work for Gressel. Um, yeah. He struggled after halftime. Um, I thought he did fine in the first half uh, playing the right side. It wasn't a bad game for 90 minutes. It was just in central midfield in a two, he did not look comfortable. Um, but at the same time, you had Yao kind of offset that with um, with the energy he brought to the table. Uh, and so uh, it, it it gives Ben Olsen a lot of uh, a lot of things to think about, because right now with the injury list expanding by one seemingly every week. Uh, I'm a guys, yeah, because, you know, Abu, I, I think since he's come into the team, Abu been had been so good. Yeah, I would argue that in 2020, DC hasn't had a better, better central midfielder than what we've seen from Abu in in the games he's gotten. I, um, I don't, I don't think his ceiling is as high as Russell Canals's, but I don't think Correct. anyone else on the team has done better with the actual games that they've gotten than Abu had done. And so, you know, we find out the report from Steve Goff today is that um, MCL tear, uh, which is a, you know, we have memories of that from Dero. Uh, ban, way back ban, then. Jason. How, how about this? Ban knees. How about we ban knees? Just I don't know how them. human legs are supposed to work if we do that. Uh, I don't care. I ban do, them. I mean, I want to talk about the play that the injury happened on. And also, uh, mm-hmm. in addition to the MCL, it was also a meniscus tear for Abu. He'll be out. Uh, at least that's what Goff said in his the story. Rest of the year. He said he said MCL and meniscus. Um, and you know that it's must have been be... changed from after I read it because when I or read maybe... it, it was only about an MCL. Um, maybe he changed it after I read it and took it out. Who knows? Um, anyway, knee knee things knee mm. things that are bad happening there, and he he basically got his foot off uh, on a to block a shot by P, I think it was Piotti, um, yeah. and basically met the ball at the same time as Piotti, so all of the force of the shot was just pushed right into his leg and at in in a direction that your knee's not supposed to bend basically and like I saw this and immediately thought that's not what you're supposed to do to your knee and Jason you immediately brought up Dero um mm-hmm. when we were talking in Slack it's like this reminds me of Dero's MCL yep. and it was and it was the same that's it, exactly what it was in his case in his case he wasn't blocking the shot he was the shooter um playing for Canada in a World Cup qualifier but um, it's a similar dynamic where if two player, if one player is putting that much force into the ball and another player is blocking the ball, whoever's knee is in the less secure position is going to be the one that unfortunately gives way. And um, he was just trying to do his job, you know, trying to get in there and, and block a shot for a team that needed to um, fend off a, a, an attack. Um, and it really sucks that, you know, it, it this year is one of those years where, you know, we're, we're talking about a long injury list, but we're not talking about a bunch of tissue injuries. We're talking about like Edison Flores gets a forehead into his cheek. Um, Muhammad Abu tries to block a shot and ends up with a knee injury. You know, there's a lot of these piling up. Um, and uh, yeah, it leaves us with uh, Junior Moreno and Moses Nyman are the only natural central midfielders that are healthy on the entire team right now. Yep. 
Well, I'm personally hoping that means we get to see Moses Nyman start because I think he's been pretty bright in in his short appearances and second halves that we've seen him. Um, he's he's willing to move to accept the ball more than any other midfielder I've seen in a long time for DC United. He he can find little pockets of space, and then even when he gets tackled, he manages to to keep the ball um, and and get away from those tackles eventually. Like uh, there was one sequence against Toronto where he kind of got tackled by two guys. It looked like he was going to lose the ball and he just kept at it and kept at it and didn't foul him and just eventually got the ball away from him, um, which was, it's a cool superpower to have if, if that's the way you, you handle tackles. Um, so I want to see more of him. I want to see him get more acclimated to this level too, because I think his ceiling is ridiculously high. Like, like Griffin Yao, I think their ceilings are just um, sky high and it'll, the more you get them on the field, the more you get to see them and, this year, there's not a ton of pressure, so it's the it's the right time to do it too. And, and there's also there's almost no choice because you've yeah. got these incredibly congested schedule, um, and we're now talking about a team that we know Felipe isn't going to play this year. We know Abu, unless by some miracle he heals faster from. I, I looked at the article and it does now say meniscus, so he's got two different things to deal with uh, before. He's not playing this year. Yeah, I mean, barring you know, a misdiagnosis, you know, you yeah. know, where it's like, Oh, actually it wasn't as bad as we thought. Um, barring that he's not coming back either. So this team is now looking at when Canals comes back and he was, you know, that their team video before the game of the, the training the day before he was involved and he was involved enough that Fred Briant was making fun of him um, with uh, some gestures <laughs> about his uh, dribbling, dribbling style. Um, so, which I think can best be described as mincing on tiptoe. Yeah, like trying to sneak up like an old cartoon <laughs> character might. Um, but yeah, uh, even if Canals is healthy to play against Nashville, which we don't know for sure or not, um, definitely on my list of things to ask Olsen on the press conference uh, we're recording on Monday. This will be tomorrow. Um, definitely a thing to ask. But um, even if Canals is healthy to play 90 minutes against Nashville, um, you got to consider Nyman's going to have to play off the bench at the very least. Um, yeah. Paul Ariola is not going to be available for at least a while, if if at all this year. That's another guy that can play central midfield to some degree. Um, Segura, if his calf injury isn't too bad, could play central midfield to some degree, though I think we all remember how that went when he first got here. It didn't go very well, but it's something that we're, we're really at that level yeah. of who else can play. So meanwhile, Nyaman, natural central midfielder, has – a ceiling that is, you know, it's hard to even estimate. I mean, um, Matt Doyle did an article recently listing him as one of his, one, one of the next seven guys to be the next Alfonso Davies, which is a lot of pressure to put on any of those players. But, um, you know, there's a reason why the U.S. men's national team nerds are suddenly paying attention to D.C. a little more. And it's because of these these three youngsters that we've got in here. Um, Paredes, Kevin Paredes might be playing some central midfield. Um, which I can say I've seen him play in training way back when, um, but it was more playing the 10 in a 4-3-3. Um, but we're at that point where um, uh, it's anyone that could theoretically play central midfield in a pinch is going to get looked at to play central midfield right now. And um, one way to alleviate those positional mismatches, those positional like, well, he can do it, but it's not great. Uh, will be to play someone who is like, yeah, this is where he belongs. So um, I 
can't come up with an argument to keep him out of at least one of the games this week, whether it's Nashville or, or the game on the weekend, um, he's got to get out there uh, because one, he's earning it. And two, there's no one else. Uh, you can't, <laughs> you can't look him in the eye and say like, well, somebody else kept you out of the team. It's like, yeah, you're, we need central midfielders and you're one of the two. So you're in there. Next man up is a 16 year old. So let's we're do not it. Going to see, we're not going to see a Bruce arena wide diamond at Trinidad and Tobago formation out of this team. I hope. Uh, so <sighs> don't speak um, it into existence, Jason, just don't. Well, I think it's because uh, Ben Olsen's <laughs> a better grip on how to uh, put his team on the field than Bruce arena uh, did at that time. And maybe still does. Um, and so part of that is not doing something silly, like saying, okay, junior, you're the only defensive midfielder. Good luck. Uh, don't do that. It's not a good idea. We'll get to talk more about Bruce Arena probably when we do a second show this week. <laughs> um, yeah, because we're getting the, the fixture congestion is affecting us, as we've already talked about. It, yes. it never ends. Anyway, happy 69th birthday to Bruce Arena. Uh, I hope you had a nice one. Um, the play wasn't all good on the field, uh, of course. Um, <laughs> Uh, we saw defensive breakdowns, two goals, neither of which was the defense is going to be happy about. Uh, the first one, you let the ball get out to the right side way too easily, and you allow a completely open crosser to to put the ball into a dangerous spot. Donovan Pines, instead of trying to do a diving header to put the ball out of bounds, does a flying kung fu kick to try to clear it. Instead, just knocks it straight down for Pozuelo to tap in from seven yards. Uh, and then the second goal, a cross goes all the way across from the right to the left, and the the sen- center backs just kind of switch off. They kind of just watch the ball and ignore Io Akinola, uh waltzing in between them, and then just a nice little chipped cross back to him, and he heads it home. No problem. Completely free header. Um, we've been yeah. over and over these defensive breakdowns, but they keep happening. Yeah, I... I... The defense is really bad right now, and it's a problem. And we don't want to keep uh, harping on it and harping on it and harping on it, but it is a noticeable a- and big problem. I'm, uh, when Stephen Birnbaum is in the team, the team is much better at defense. And when Stephen Birnbaum isn't in the team, the team is much worse at defense. Uh, I love Donovan Pines, but he had a number of bad plays in this game and he, like he's still figuring it out. Uh, and so I hope he continues to figure it out, but he's not there right now. And so uh, Stephen, when, when burn mom comes back, he, he, the team will be better, but they're not there right now. Uh, Frederick Briant isn't, the same player that Burnbaum is and, and this defense isn't the same that, uh, that they are with Burnbaum. And it, it's not, as we saw in this game, it's not, uh, it, it, it doesn't come down to uh, Bill Hamid versus Chris Seitz. It's, it's bigger than that. It's more in the defense than that. So it's a lot of things. And it's, it, the thing is it's mistakes in, it's not like, wow, this defending was bad all game long. Um, yeah. What we're getting is the team defends all right for most of the game, but this entire stretch of this entire sprint of games and now this tacked on extra three games that were revealed instead of us just getting the whole schedule like they said they were going to give us, yeah. um, 
but it's the same situation, whether it's the, the Revs game, which they threw away. Those The two goals they gave up in that game uh, are the difference between a win and a loss. And otherwise, if they just defend two plays without making mistakes, they walk away with a win. Um, this was one of those where, um, you know, Pines went for something that we've seen him pull off before, but he's not in good form right now. And when you're not in good form, that stuff that is maybe that uh, yeah. high, he, high end of your range sort of becomes a little too high when you're not in good form. And that's the whole thing is he he's goofed, just not in good form. And he goofed that one badly because yeah. he's not in good form. Right. And, and you know, there was a moment during the game, I, I think I mentioned this in our site slack, um, while the trainers were looking at Abu, um, it looked like he was just going over the play in his head. Like he was still thinking about it. Um, and he wasn't, you know, he was just, irritated with himself um and, and he's done I, that know, in I past think... games too during stoppages where he looks like right. he's just he's he's in the moment when the play is happening but as soon as it stops he starts going over his, in his head and you know kind of kicking himself over mistakes he's made right. um which which you know that can eat away at your confidence and i i think the thing is it's not that i i think his recent play is not reflective of what he actually is right now in 2020. He, this is the bad form version of what he is in 2020. Um, and sometimes with young players, it's good to let them play their way through it. Other times, maybe you need to give them a game off and let them sort of collect themselves and have, you know, the, the way the schedule is set up, there's no time for you to just work on training, rebuild your confidence there and, um, you know, not have this constant, the pressure of another game is coming up. Um, and I think this this Wednesday against Nashville, even if if Burnham's not healthy, um, then maybe uh, Axel Schubert can come in for a game just to give Pines that time to get his head right. Um, because I think that's all it is. It's not that he turned into a bad player or, or regressed somehow. I think he's just in a cycle where he's not getting enough time to reframe his mindset and get back to doing what he does well. Because he is a good player. It's just right now it's not happening for him. Well, and we still we still see him make good plays. Like the one on one defending is still really really strong from him. He's able to use those incredibly long legs to very very good effect, blocking shots and and you know making tackles. It's just he's there's, there's a, a few moments where he just right. there's one or two a game, and when you're a center back, you this is the thing with the the other youngsters on the team. Um, you know, if Kevin Paredes makes one or two mistakes a game, it's not that big of a deal because of where he's playing on the field. Yep. Um, if Griffin Yao makes one or two mistakes, or if Eric Sorga makes one or two mistakes, you're going to forget them because they're attackers. They get to make mis- they get the privilege of making mistakes all the time. When you're a right. center back, you don't get that privilege. Um, you have to be able to get through the game without making the big mistake. And unfortunately for DC, um, it's not just Pines. We we should be clear, it's not just him making the big mistakes, but he is looking more culpable than some of the other players. And so um, whether it's just he needs a one-game break or um, maybe Burnbaum is about to come back, I mean, he was um, at the game, and I think he was in some of their um, the teams. Uh, you know, They were doing uh, boxing up uh, goodie bags for the kids at um, Children's Medical Center, and he was there without any sort of ankle brace of any kind. So that's the kind of thing that when someone's in that kind of state and they're out walking around doing stuff, that's a good sign. Um, so maybe he's close enough that he can play on Wednesday. Um, but yeah, I think that Pines needs at least a game off um, and, and just tell him, you know, obviously you have to travel because at this point DC barely has 20 players to travel to any game, but 
um, you know, tell him that most likely you're not going to play tonight. Maybe you'll have to play five minutes at the end if we're protecting a lead, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, that's, that's where my head is at with him is, is give him a game off to, to, you know, sort himself out a little bit. And then if, if you need him on Saturday um, or is it Sunday, I can't even remember anymore. It's Sunday. Sunday. All right. So if you need him, on, Oh, that's nice. They get uh, the, the long short rest rather than the short, exactly. short rest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, give him, give him the one game where he doesn't necessarily have to worry about things and he gets to sort of hit the reset button at a week of training um, or a week of training. I'm putting in scare quotes because they don't actually get a week of training. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I think he just needs the one game off. That's, that's the main point is he just needs a game to collect himself. And if that means giving Schuberg another shot um, in a formation that he's better in, he's better as a center back in a four than in a three. Um, then you need to do that. Uh, before we end the segment, I would be remiss if I did not shout out the uh, the support that Griffin Yao got from his older brother, Paul Ariola after <laughs> the goal. Um, Ariola running on a, you know, repaired ACL through the stands to celebrate. Um, not the first time he's been caught on video, really just losing his mind for, for a DC United goal. Um, I, I say this without irony. You love to see it. Yeah, it's what, wonderful. What came to mind for me because, like, if you watch that highlight again, um, without because the team put music over the highlight when they put it out as a, a separate package. But if you watch the highlight photo or the highlight from the league where it's just the broadcast, you can hear his yell. Um, <laughs> his his celebration yell comes through on that audio. Um, uh, DC hasn't had someone that is as invested in celebrating their goals that, that we see that we get to actually to watch. Um, cause you know, this is the second time his celebration has been part of celebrating a DC goal because the, the Sorga goal, um, Ariel's girlfriend posted the video of him celebrating at home. Um, that we haven't had something like this since Christian Gomez was drumming, uh, at giant stadium, uh, back in 2004, um, in an Argentina Jersey, which he, the story goes for, for some of you newcomers, he was suspended and he just took it upon himself to bundle his family in the car and say, let's go to the game. And right. he didn't, he didn't tell the team. He didn't tell anyone. He just showed up and bought tickets and was like, let me go hang out with the supporters. And then they were like, it's you, you're Christian Gomez. And he's like, yes, I am Christian Gomez. Um, and then, you know, the, and I bang the, the drum. <laughs> yeah. And then he's, he's ba- banging the drum, doing the chants and, you become like a club legend that way. It's not just what he accomplished on the field. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when Ariola came here, the, the, th- the thought was like, he's here for a little while and then he's probably going to bounce to Europe. But now we're talking about a guy that signed a longer term contract with the club. Um, and, you know, you tear an ACL, there's every reason to just be like, I'm going to withdraw from the group and just sort of stay away from it outside of my treatment and my, my rehab until yeah. I'm back on the training ground. But he's not, that's not Paul Ariola, And so to see his investment in the team beyond, you know, you know, the players are invested because it's their job and it kind of takes up so much of their life, but to actually see it, you know, to see him celebrating a goal, like any DC fan would be celebrating a goal uh, is, is really cool. I mean, I guess at a normal game, you don't have that much space to run because there are other people there. Um, where, whereas in this case, the only people he had to run past were other DC players. Who are hurt. Yeah. <laughs> other and injured Robbie DC United players. Um, the, the other player that was there is Rodney Wallace, who's still training with the team, I guess. Uh, we 
we don't know. May or may not be on trial. I guess anytime you're training out of contract, it's a trial. Yeah. If you're a free agent and you're training with someone, that's a trial. I mean, it might not be a formal trial, but it sounds like it is. If he's coming to the game and sitting with the other players, that's formal enough for me. Uh, Something I left out of the rundown that I'm remembering now, and we're going to have to just talk about it for 30 seconds because we uh, need to finish this segment and bring on Clay, is Jordi Reyna has been acquired by DC United. Mm-hmm. He's a versatile attacking guy, a Peruvian international acquired from the Vancouver Whitecaps. Um, can play in the 10 spot and a diamond can play as a second forward can play out wide. I don't know if he can play alone up top, but uh, really yeah, versatile. It didn't really work, but he has done it. Right. Bring some speed to the attack, which they've been sorely lacking since uh, Paul Ariola has been out for this entire season. Uh, Ola Kamara used to be fast, not so fast right now. Um, so, uh, interesting acquisition. Um, we went from having one forward and a young prospect on the team to having four viable guys to put on the field in, in a forward like position, which is, you know, that, that's a nice change to see that they signed, they signed forwards. We asked them to sign forwards and they signed forwards. So, yeah. Uh, you know, Reyna's an, an interesting player. He's more of a setup guy than a goal scorer um, for the most part. Um, he's one of those guys that you have to call an attacker. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's another thing we didn't get to talk to Olsen about after the game was his plans for Reyna. So that's another question I got to ask uh, tomorrow if I get the shot um, or someone else will ask. But um, what his vision for Reyna is, because he can play either wing. He could play the ten. He can be that second forward, or he can be a nine. He can really do all of that. Um, he's he's the kind of player that's tailor-made for a 4-2-3-1 because he can do any of those front four positions. Um, I, I am interested to see what Olsen's vision for him is because right now, if they want to play the diamond, I I would say probably the best position is that second forward. Um, whether that's, you know, most of the time that'll be in Rivas's spot uh, or possibly if Kamara needs a rest because, you know, Kamara's had a bunch of muscle injuries. We have to we have to assume he's not going to start all of these games. Um, it might be in Kamara's spot with Rivas playing as the target and and Reyna underneath. But um, he's an interesting player. There are there have been times where he's looked really really good. There have also been times where he kind of you know last year in Vancouver he scored seven goals. But if you had told me he only scored three, I would have believed you. He just made no. Right. The last year's Whitecaps were terrible uh, in general, so it's not all his fault. But he definitely did not have a season of note to say the least. Um, and it, there's the off field stuff. Um, yeah. He ran in trouble with his club this year twice um, for once for just sort of ignoring. Uh, he played a pickup and, game during the pandemic uh, right, after and, the and lockdown all, orders. It wasn't just him. It was a couple other guys from the team jumped in on a pickup game. Um, right. So he got in trouble for that. He also got in trouble for, I think it was just being late to something and, mm-hmm. Uh, was left out of the the lineup as a result, or as out of the game day squad as a, as a result. Um, there are there were charge or not even charges. There were allegations back. He was a person of interest. He yeah. was interviewed uh, by authorities uh, about the death and possible rape of a woman in the right. apartment he was renting during a party a, that he was it's throwing. It's a really convoluted story. Um, trying to keep right. track. No, no charges were were. Right, were made in the case against him. Um, at, at least he was never now. formally accused of anything, as far as we know. Um, right. But we well, don't know bad. a lot about that situation. Bad. Yeah, um, yeah. He he has a history uh, of 
very questionable off the field decisions right. uh, and, and, and associations. And that's a pro that's potentially a problem, but Ben Olson loves a head case. So <laughs> I, I would say, if you want to know more about that, um, in our article about Reina's signing, there's a link to the 86 Forever, uh, which is the Vancouver Whitecaps version of our site. Um, they did a rundown of the entire chronology of that case. Like I said, it's very convoluted and dense, and there's a lot of unknown. There's very little known. Um, but they they tried their best to keep track of it. Um, so you can read that there and, um, you know, figure out where you stand on it. I, it to me, it's one of those where it's uh, – it, even if he is completely innocent, you're still having like teenagers are hanging out at your house uh, when you're 25, 26. That seems weird. Um, yeah. Probably not the best idea. The not These are not his relatives. Uh, so I don't know what's going on, but um, if he can keep his life in order off the field um, and usually, usually, you know, Olsen is very much a like, look, I'm going to give you a long leash, but on game day and at training, you've got to come through and I also, you, you need to not get involved in any any criminal activity or even just anything that is, you know, dumb and possibly dangerous or brings, you know, disrepute to DC United. Um, so it's going to be sink or swim, I assume, is that, you know, if Reyna is acting up off the field, we're going to suddenly be like, why is Jordi Reyna not playing? And it might be something like that. So hopefully the trade is the wake-up call that he, you know, yeah. can come over here and, you know, stick to what he needs to stick to and not get involved in anything he shouldn't um, and uh, be effective because there is a very good player. I mean, this this was someone that almost made Peru's World Cup roster um, and they qualified out of South America. This is not a joke team. This is a legit uh, team that he just barely missed out on. This is not too different from getting someone that was on the fringes of the U.S. national team. Um, so on a talent level, it's a big pickup. Um, there's a reason they spent the money they spent. Those some of that money was also international spot uh, funding. Yes, um, renting the spot yeah. for the the year. There's right. a reason the Whitecaps wanted to move on, um, and there's also a reason to think that well, maybe maybe this is the sort of slap in the face that he needs to. Um, you know, my my first club wanted me out so bad they undersold to to get rid of me, um, and maybe this is where he turns it around. We don't. We're not going to know. For a while, mostly, he's probably not going to play against Nashville because I assume the visa and transfer stuff hasn't been settled yet. Um, right. But we'll find out. You know, well, that's another part of the things I have to ask him tomorrow. All right. That does it for this segment after the longest 30 second conversation in human history, possibly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> please stick around. We will be right back with Clay Trainium, Trainum from Pharmaceutical Soccer. This is Filibuster. Right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you called the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, if you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a, 
a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United traveled to the Music City for a midweek tilt with uh, the new kids on the block, Nashville SC. I guess that's a different kind of music, but we're going to roll with it. Uh, Nashville coming off a 2-0 loss to Columbus over the weekend, but they had been riding a four-game unbeaten streak up to that point. They're currently one point ahead of DC United in ninth place above the the weirdly lowered line for the playoffs. Um, so this game will mean something. Clay Trainum hosts the pharmaceutical pod or the pharmaceutical soccer show on one Oh two five, the game in Nashville. It's also available in podcast form wherever you get your podcasts. He makes his return appearance to filibuster right now. Welcome back, dude. Hey, what's up? And Hey, Nashville is not just country music. It has all forms of music. So, who knows? Maybe maybe Donnie Wahlberg is kicking around with his friends every once in a while. All right. Nashville is is now the the Boston of nineteen eighty nine. Uh you heard it here, folks. First. Uh Clay, we, what we are you drinking? Nineteen eighty nine we reference around here. That's true. That's true. That I walked right into that one, didn't I? <laughs> uh so so for a little redemption, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, it's not much of redemption. It is crystal light, <laughs> strawberry crystal light in a Mountain Dew bottle. So <laughs> Mountain Dew has been a remarkable presence on this podcast for the last three weeks. And I oh, cannot explain it. <laughs> I don't think Mountain Dew has been in this bottle for about three or four months. It has been strictly a crystal light bottle for a while. <laughs> but the label looks good. It looks new. Yeah. You know, I've, I, I try to, I also have NashvilleSoccerArchive.com. So, you know, I try to preserve things, I guess. Does that count? Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> we'll count it. It's too bad Ben had to step off for this segment. You two could get into a an archivist historian kind have, of. Uh... He should have had some Mountain Dew then. Then he would be uh, able to sustain himself for not, <laughs> not just this segment, but maybe like past midnight. Well, I mean, <laughs> we were talking about it. Adam and I were talking about this the other day for the uninformed. Adam is also my cousin. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when we had those late nights after Indiana basketball games, when he was growing up and still an Indiana fan, uh, Code Red and Surge were very much a part of staying up to oh, play yeah. video games. <laughs> Lots of Super Nintendo, games of horse in the driveway. You know, That's basically what you trigger. expect. Tons of Chrono Trigger, which is not a good party game. Great video no. game, not a good party game. No. Um, my little brother was just all about it. Um, and I was too. It's it's a great game. Anyway, let's turn to soccer. Clay, I'm I'm just gonna put it out there. Are Nashville any good? Yes. Yes. Uh they so obviously there's some things to figure out offensively uh for Nashville. Uh I don't think that the, they've only scored nine goals. I don't think that necessarily tells the full story. I think if you actually look at the matches they've played, they've outshot and outcreated all but two teams they've played the whole season. Uh, now, there is something to be said about 
finishing if you're out shooting and out creating teams and not getting goals that's that's definitely something to worry about but you know you go back and you look at they just played Columbus I think Columbus is unequivocally the best team in the league right now they have an elite defensive team that defensive that Columbus defense is on pace to be one of the best defenses that we've probably ever seen in MLS and Nashville especially in the first half had their their fair share of looking like the better team and that's minus like four wingers that they had injuries to i mean it it was i think nashville finished with 58 percent possession in that game uh which is not exactly what uh the classic opinion of gary smith probably is uh in the game before again atlanta kind of trash sometimes uh nashville did score four goals against them they look good in the pre uh reggie cannon exit fc dallas team so they've at times looked like a team that can put things together but at the end of the day they still only have one multi-goal game so it's hard to figure out defensively though nashville is among the best teams in the league i feel like defensively you look at the center back pairing of Walker Zimmerman and Dave Romney. You're not going to find many center back pairings better than that. You look at right back. There's a kid named Alistair Johnston. Not a lot of people are talking about him. He is quietly one of the best rookies, uh, I believe, in MLS. He's a guy who's going to be a part of the Canadian national team setup. He is a great player. And, you know, he's got his moments because he's still young. And then you look at the left back. Unfortunately, Daniel Lovitz will be missing out this game. Uh, Lovitz has been a great uh, crosser of the ball. He's been very involved in everything that Nashville does. He did miss a sitter against Miami a few weeks ago, but that that's a really strong back four. Joe Willis has done well in goal. Uh, and in front of the back four, you look at Godoy and McCarty. So defensively, Nashville is a really, really hard team to break down. They're not going to have too many games where they give up multiple goals. The Columbus game, that was a one nil game until the 93rd minute classic Zardes goal when Nashville's overcommitted going forward. So it it's a they're a tough team. I think that they're a playoff I mean, I think that they are a genuine playoff team. Um and they're gonna they're gonna give everybody a problem. So Clay, you bring up, you know, the defense and obviously, like you said, um Dan Lovett's got the yellow card. Look kind of like a a little bit of a soft one, but um he's stuck with it and it means he's suspended for this one. Um you know, they've had consistency in the back. So who are you looking to to step in? Because they haven't had to chop and change a lot. And so it's kind of been a really regular back four over and over again. Yeah, the only the only place where we've seen any sort of rotation has been at right back. And that was kind of Alistair Johnson locked that down kind of after COVID. Uh, but Jaleel Anibaba's played there as well before. So there is an idea that Anibaba could play on the other side left back. There is also an idea that uh, Dave Romney who's played at left back before can move to left back. And maybe you replace him with Anibaba as a center back. Uh, hmm. Truthfully, I think it's going to be Taylor Washington. That'll be at left back. Uh, that's not a name that a lot of people are familiar with, although I believe he did play with DC United briefly. The, the union. Uh, yeah. He well, he's, he's been in a few places. Because he was also with uh, New York Red Bulls. So it's kind of, either way, he's been around the block a little bit. um, But he's been mostly a USL player. And he was a very 
very good USL player for Nashville the last two seasons. He's gotten a lot of minutes um, also the last few games. And stylistically, he lines up a little bit better with the way that Lovitz plays. He's a good crosser. He's got a lot of speed. He might be Nashville's fastest player, which is saying something for a team that has guys like Don Bocci uh, mm-hmm. on the roster and David Akam. Um, So I think that it'll probably end up being Taylor Washington. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but if they're going to maintain the style that they've played with, I would assume it would be Taylor. So you mentioned Dax McCarty. He's a guy who definitely did play in, in DC for a very short time, but uh, how does he keep scoring headed goals? He's the smallest guy on the field. It seems like, but he's, he scored headed goals in New York. He's doing it in Nashville. It makes no sense. Every, every time people bring it up, I'm like, Hey, red wedding for uh New York Red Bulls. I know that's probably, I know I'm probably supposed to say Metro stars on this podcast. It's but... fine. It's fine. I was actually at that game like randomly. <laughs> yeah. Scored two headed goals in that game. Uh, yeah. It's weird. He, <laughs> he's one of the, he's been a fan favorite since they acquired him here for obvious reasons. Uh, as Adam knows, I am a former Chicago fire supporter before I got my own local team. Uh, so I am a huge Dax McCarty fan and, you know, he just, he's, I love him. It's him and Godoy are, are great. They're probably two of the most popular players on the team. I don't know how he scores headed goals. <laughs> he had a headed assist in that game against Atlanta too. Off a corner, wow. he had it down for Baji to score the goal on the opening minute. Yeah, it's weird. He uh, just manages to pop up. It's it's wild. <laughs> you mentioned uh, earlier that the number of players that Nashville's without in their attack. You know, Rand- Randall Leal. I think I think uh, I saw something that Gary Smith said he wasn't most likely wasn't going to be ready for this weekend. Um, there are a few other guys as well. Um, is that you know, or I, I guess I shouldn't say is that because that's not the best way to start the sentence, but um, you had Alan Wynn and Alex Muil start on the wing against Columbus. It's been uh, a little bit of, this is like the one spot where there's been changes, but it seems like you guys have for wingers like DC has for all the other positions, which is to say injuries more than available players. Um, what do you think of the available options uh, for Nashville this Wednesday? I think, Randall Leal will be available. Okay. Um, I, I'm not sure the extent to his injury for the reason that he missed this past weekend. He had played every game leading up to then. He also got engaged last week, so it wouldn't surprise me if it was an injury um, necessarily. He, mm-hmm. he put out on social media that he was well, a picture of him training today. So I'm not sure. I, I, that is pure speculation, but uh, I certainly expect to see Leal in the squad if he's not starting in the 18. Uh, David Akam, from what I understand, doesn't hasn't really been dealing with an injury. Uh, so I think there's a high likelihood of him being back in the squad. There's a, There's been a lot of stuff that's gone on in Nashville this year. So it, I, I, it's kind of hard to judge the injury report. And I know that everyone is being completely honest with the injury report. I'm not saying they're not, but uh, it's... I, I do believe that there is going to be more options available, you know, even with Lovitz being out. And there's a couple of injuries for guys who haven't played yet this year, Jamie Madronda, Ken Tribbett. But uh, but I, I do believe the winger position will be a bit replenished 
going into the game Wednesday. Another Chicago Fire alum on on Nashville SC is David Akam. You mentioned when he was at the Fire, he would. It seems like a million years ago, he was unplayable. Unreal. He was he was so good, and then he went to Philadelphia, and Bobby Warshaw tapped him to be an MVP candidate, and he looked like he didn't belong on the field at all. Um, what version of him do you guys have down there in Nashville? You know, I don't really know. Um, when he's played, he's been pretty good. Uh, he scored the goal to give Nashville its first ever win against FC Dallas. Uh, you know, it's it's taken a while certainly to fit in. Uh, from what I understand, you know, he's he's does he's not in any sort of doghouse or anything like that. That's not the reason he's not playing, been playing. So there's been some stuff going on, and and I think everyone is is rooting for him to do well, and I think there's expectations for him to do well. And when he's played, he's certainly been. Uh, one of the more threatening players for Nashville. We don't have a ton of those. Uh, he's largely come off the bench. I don't think I've seen him. I don't think I've, I've seen him start in a while. So I, I really don't know. I really don't know. I mean, this was a lot of people around, you know, MLS have kind of forgotten about this for good reason. There's been a lot of COVID and things going on, but you know, he's a guy that our fan base is is really rooting for. He he was um, when we had the tornado back after the first game of the season. Uh, he was probably the most affected player. Uh, he had a newborn child, or was his wife was pregnant and he now has a newborn child. Uh, and you know, his house got destroyed, and oh, wow. and he didn't he didn't have he didn't seek. Um, the cover in the way that he probably should have, but he'd never been in that situation before. And um, fortunately he was able to come out of it with just property damage and, and be all right. So he's definitely a guy that we're all rooting for. And it was great that in the return to play the first game really since all that, uh, that he was the guy who scored the winning goal. And then he, he almost scored a winning goal from half field in the second game. And so uh, when he's played, he certainly had uh the instinct to go after it. Uh, Clay, I guess, I guess my, my last um, on the field question goes to uh, someone that DC United fans still uh, really have a, a fondness for it's Joe Willis in goal. Um, you know, after all his time in Houston where he was sometimes a starter, sometimes not the starter, he gets to Nashville and it was, you know, not clear from afar what, what was actually going to be his fate, but um you know, it seems like so far this year, he's been a part of that defense that has obviously done so well. Um, what are your thoughts on on Willis overall and, and uh, just his personality as well as his uh, actual play on the field? Yeah, it, it's weird because like with the way things are right now, we don't get to see too many players' personalities. But <laughs> uh, I, I will say... He has done very, very well. I, I think that there are a few games where he has saved points for Nashville. He's made some big saves. I will say this. There are probably few goalkeepers that have the luxury of the defense that Nashville has in front of them, as I mentioned mm -hmm. before, and the sort of organization that Nashville asks for its team. So um, a lot of the big problems don't necessarily get to him. Um, but when they do... You know, he's shown himself to be up to the task. 
he's had a mistake here or there, but you'll get that, especially with MLS goalkeepers. Uh, but I don't think any Nashville fan has any problem with the way that he's performed. I think he's, he's met expectations and probably surpassed them in a lot of ways. And it'll be interesting because he's going to get probably a few years to be the starter in Nashville. Uh, Nashville recently acquired the USU 20 goalkeeper, Brady Scott. He's out on loan to Sacramento Republic. Uh, he's, I would assume the, the sort of goalkeeper of the future that they want here, but he's probably got a year or two before they're going to put him into that, any sort of situation like that. So, so Willis is going to be our guy uh, as far as I, as far as I can tell for the next few years. So off the field, uh, you guys are working on a new stadium. What's the latest uh, at the fairgrounds there? Uh, Well, it's, it's all from, the actual getting things done perspective, you know, they're, they've, they've started building it. They've moved the buildings that had to be moved. They've been moved. They've been built. They've been doing the events that they've been allowed to do in those new buildings. They've knocked down the old buildings. They're getting it ready to build. Everything is kind of progressing on schedule. There is a court case that's currently happening and um, it might be uh, a frivolous court case, but they're going through all of the things to make sure that the, the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. Um, there are some questions around whether or not the charter uh, for the city allows a soccer stadium to be built there. I don't reading the charter and going through this fight for several years. I don't understand the argument that it doesn't, but here we are. So I, I was actually watching it earlier today. Um, the people that were up against it on the trying to get rid of the stadium had their did their case last week. And I um, may or may not have watched on YouTube and went line by line with every word from uh, Smash Mouse All Star. And then the next day, every word from No Scrubs. And then, of course, the last the last day. Uh, every word from uh, Never Give Up On You, which is, of course, Nashville SC's famous, well-known anthem. Uh, <laughs> Naturally. Performed, performed by Judah and the Lion, uh, as as I'm sure everyone knows about. How many clubs have an official, like... Um, you know, it's weird. <laughs> an official anthem that they had done, that they, they put out there. I know RSL has theirs. Um, that they love in Nashville. Right. Nashville's is significantly more wordy than RSL's. And I, I'm not going to hate on it too much. It's not necessarily my thing. I will say that I was very skeptical of, uh, of it whenever they played it at the first time. Um, but the song took on a bit of a different meaning for a lot of people after the tornado. Um, yeah. It was actually used on a couple of news stations, like uh, wrap up of montages of the city rebuilding and things like that. So people dig it. It is what it is. I will say that it wasn't like the team just went and imposed it. I was involved with the um, the the umbrella organization, the Backline Supporters Collective, and you know they can they had members of that go to the studio whenever they were trying to work out the lyrics. And there was, it was more collaborative than I think a lot of maybe MLS Twitter understood. 
But yeah, it, it's it it's weird to have an anthem before playing a game. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, one last question before we we call it a night, and I like to end every chat with with this one. How would you game plan against your own team? So if you you found yourself lining up against, figuring out having how to play, how to break down that defense, score goals without giving something up on the break, what would you try to do? Honestly, I, I think I think Columbus was interesting. Um, I think that you know Columbus was the first team that really let Nashville have possession, and Nashville probably in its ideal world would try would try to play like Columbus, you know, be organized, try and hit people on the break. And when Nashville couldn't do that because Columbus was just like, come at us, um, you kind of ran out of ideas. And, you know, the it was kind of <laughs> depressing to watch because it was like, oh, Nashville has the ball, here comes a cross, and it's dealt with. And it was just that for the entire game at or for huge chunks of the game. And as we all know, crossing over and over and over again is not the most efficient way to put goals together. You can so, tell we're kin here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so if if I were trying to game plan, I don't necessarily know how to do that. You know, from a DC United perspective, but if I were trying to game plan, like Nashville may not have the ideas to break down an organized defensive unit. I I think that Columbus also was very strategic in the way that they were found. We haven't talked about Hani Mukhtar. Hani Mukhtar is Nashville's DP. Um, the first DP, the other is Randall Leal, and the third is Yonder Cadiz, who is still trying to get in the country. Uh, but uh, but Mukhtar, anytime he got into any sort of space, had two or three people around him, they were fouling him, and he didn't handle it very well. I will say this, Mukhtar's service from a dead ball is really good for the most part um so while crossing is not necessarily the best way to score a dead ball getting walker zimmerman and dave romney and the bigger guys for nashville up there for a free kick is uh is not a situation that dc united probably wants to put itself in all right we'll see how dc united handles it whether they give that nashville the ball or or try to play through it we'll see that's kind of I think that- the maybe two extremes that we've just, seen. Maybe both teams just leave the ball in the middle and it's like dodgeball when you're a kid and you don't know who's going to co- go for it first. Maybe that's a tactic. That'd be a, that'd be a new way of doing MLS. <laughs> it's it's we either going gonna... to see that when the, when DC played the Red Bulls recently, we kind of thought that might be what happened. And DC was like, no, no, we'll have the ball. And it did not work. <laughs> they looked okay, but yeah, that did yeah, not but work. It didn't work. <laughs> Well, that's it for tonight. Thank you all for listening. And thank you, Clay, for coming on the show. Tell our listeners where they can they can find you. They can find me at Clay LaSoul on uh, Twitter. And they can also find Pharmaceutical Soccer at Pharma Soccer on Twitter. All right. Find us at Black and Red U on Twitter, at FilibusterDCU for the podcast. Uh, we're on blackandredunited.com, of course, and if you want to support us financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm told ratings and reviews are very helpful in helping people discover us, but 
What I think is actually even more helpful is just telling a friend about the show. Word of mouth remains the best advertising there is. So we appreciate every kind word we get for Jason and the now absent Ben and thanking my cousin Clay for joining us one more time. I'm Adam and we'll talk to you again real soon. Actually, before we get out of here, I got to shout out Clay's Ace Purple t-shirt because again, you can tell we're kin. Anyway, say goodnight, Jason. September 21st, that's today. <laughs> <laughs>